Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Well, before we go any further, I want you to affirm me about my shirt. I noticed it. We're all talking about the shirt now, but nobody ever talked about it before. I did. I said something. Only behind, we did you behind your back. Ah, well, you went behind my back, huh? Yeah. Huh? There we are. Where is this? This, see, a lot of people dress up for preaching, but this is me. Yeah. I remember when I was in a mega church in Kuala Lumpur, and there were 36 pastors, and. We brought in a um, pastor from Perth, Australian pastor, young guy, and he was wearing a Lakers shirt, and it was cut off here, and, uh, is that going? Okay. And he had socks that stuck out, and, and man, he was very impressive. But the Lakers basketball team is from Los Angeles, and to me it seemed as though he was dressing up. Well, I'm not dressing up, although this is a, a, a powerful looking shirt, because I have taught at Wadja Wadja High School in Wurrabinda, which is an Aboriginal community. And I made good Christian friends there, many, many stories. So it's part of my culture. I'm not making it. In Queensland. So anyway, I just thought, while you're looking at me and considering you know, maybe you're thinking, oh, he's just making something up. It's a real me. I wore this when I talked. It was part of the uniform for the teachers. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to read this passage from Matthew 17. It's a little story about a coin. with a lot to it. And as we go through, you'll see that. Just before this incident, Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John up Mount Tabor, where he was transfigured into a, an amazing person of glory. Shortly after that, He's having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter. Now you have to understand something of the dynamics that occurred in the three and a half year period where Jesus had his disciples. Nearly everything was group interaction. Very rarely, maybe even only one time, is there a direct one-on-one -on -one tutoring arrangement that Jesus had. And it's with Peter. You have to understand a little bit about Peter's background. He was born in Bethsaida, which is in the north eastern part of the Lake of Galilee, and belonged to a low-class suburb, you might say. Okay, a kind of just a, 
second-class fishing village. And he moved a few kilometers along the shoreline to Capernaum, which was, you might say, a high-class suburb. They had a synagogue there that was about one-third the size of the village. I've actually been there. I've seen Peter's house. Or one of them. It's a big, huge thing. And so the people in Capernaum had this idea that uh, they were special. And even Jesus criticized that. He said, Capernaum, you who think you're going to be raised up to the heavens. He was criticizing them because he did a lot of miracles there and they weren't responding in heart. So Peter moved from this down and out kind of place, still fishing, still on the shoreline, to an up and up kind of place. Jesus comes along, the Messiah, in his generation, walking right next to him, he drops all his nets and he follows God in the flesh and he's one of the chosen twelve and then he's one of the chosen three and now Jesus is speaking to him one on one. How do you think his ego is going? Skyrocketing? It's likely. We don't know, but if you look at the circumstances, it's a good assumption to make. So Put yourself in the situation, I'm going to read it, of being Peter, and how you would feel with this interaction, and I'm going to give you a question before I read the scripture. The question is, who's the most important person in the story? And it starts, his name starts with the letter J. Okay, got that question? All right, here we go. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Oh, yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? Simon, Peter, Peter, Simon. He asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open the mouth, and you'll find four drachma coin, take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Let's understand a little bit here. Israel is an occupied country at the time and was throughout Jesus' life. We tend to forget that. Can you imagine if Australia was occupied by China or by Russia? or by the United States. How would you feel as Australians if foreigners were running this country and telling you what to do? Would you feel good? Probably not. And it had been like this in one fashion or another for centuries. The Persians and the Greeks and the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and now the Romans. You have to understand the Jewish mindset. You see, they knew the Torah. They knew that they had been delivered by God 
out of Egypt. And they were given their freedom from slavery. But they also knew the prophets. And God had warned them time and time again that if they weren't going to obey him, they were, they were going to be occupied. Foreigners would come. And they would even take you from your land and distribute you to the ends of the earth. But if you repented, he'd bring them back again. So here they were for centuries being occupied. What did that message pass on to them? They weren't doing the right thing. God was not giving them their freedom. That's a burden to bear. And you know, at one point, Jesus brings it up when he speaks to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees reply and say, we've been slaves of no one, which is absolute rubbish. So this is burning in the back of the entire nation. They've been born into a kind of slavery, and this is where they're, what they're living with, and they're looking to their Messiah to deliver them. Peter's on a good wicket now, because he's got a personal relationship, maybe the closest personal relationship with the Messiah himself. Wow! And what happens? Well, the two of them are having this interesting conversation. The tax man comes. Now, understand, this is the temple tax man. And it's a very small amount. It wasn't the Roman tax collector who would ask for a lot more. And it would drain them of their profit. But still, the word tax brought up all these feelings of being used and of not being right with God and why doesn't God come to us? Maybe God is here and there's hope. So, what does the tax man say? Does your teacher pay the tax? That's an insult. Doesn't this tax man know who this guy is? He's our, he's our Messiah. He's given us thousands of free meals out of nothing. He stops storms. He walks on the water. He heals everybody, even lepers. And you're asking him for four drachma? That's about 80 cents. That's loose change. That's an insult. But Jesus doesn't have loose change. And neither does Peter. Why? Any ideas? They give it all away. You're thinking somebody's in charge of the money. Anybody know? Judas. I blew it. You've answered the question. The question I had was who was the most important person in the story? And with the letter J, you'd all say it was Jesus. In actual fact, the most important person in the story is Judas. And he's not even in the story. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus had chosen Judas to look after the money. And if you look carefully in the Gospels, you'll find out that it was a known fact among the disciples that Judas was a thief. And he was helping himself to the money. Can you imagine 
something like that happening today. <laughs> a church advertising for an active, unrepentant thief to look after the finances? Can you? I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't compute, Sounds right? Sounds like fringe to me. Sounds like fringe. <laughs> but Jesus actually did this. And to make matters worse, early on in the story of Matthew, Jesus calls a tax collector called Matthew, sometimes called Levi. And in one verse, Matthew 9.9, an amazing story occurs. Because this tax collector who owns everything that you would need to own in those days to be very wealthy, drops everything and follows Jesus. Staggering. How can you compare that to today? Well, can you imagine somebody a bit rough looking around the edges, walking into a top downtown bank in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane and walking past the CEO of the bank who just happens to be going out for lunch or something and says to him, follow me. And the CEO, stunned, takes off his jacket, says to the teller, give me a piece of paper, says, I resign, puts his name and walks out. It's crazy. So you'd think that Matthew, who knew about numbers, would be of use to the disciples, right? Matthew is not chosen to look after the money. A thief is chosen. What do you think Matthew's feeling when this is going on? Jesus, nuts. <clears throat> Some years ago, pastor and I had a conversation that was pretty important. He had a question and I didn't know the answer. He told me the story and I knew the person and I'd seen what had happened and I was in another church but basically this is what happened. A chartered accountant, one of the two scrutineers who would count the offerings and the tithes every Sunday stole from the church over a period of 18 months about $140,000. Got away with it until finally they put a, a video and they caught him. And even then he only admitted to taking 20, 20 $30,000. They had to ask everybody over the past year and a half that had given what roughly they had given and they added it all up. Of course it broke his marriage and it put great disrepute on the name of Christ and the church and the pastor came to me after it was all over he was very thankful that they had discovered this and now they could pay for a second pastor and the ministry could go on but he said Paul why did God allow that to happen as I told you before I didn't know but I said let me pray about this and I'll see what the Lord tells me so I did and the Lord gave me two answers. <clears throat> and now, a third. The first two answers are these. Jesus knew that his Father would provide for him regardless. 
even if ladies out of their means and their hard work were providing for these 12 wandering guys and it was given to a thief who was helping himself he would still be provided and Jesus never as far as we know ever asked for money he depended on his father that was the first thing I thought that was a good point to be emphasized secondly how often did Judas steal you don't know weeks months years how often did that man steal every Sunday but every time that the theft occurred there was an opportunity to repent and God was giving and in this case Judas many opportunities to feel guilty and say sorry and come clean probably a lot more opportunities than we would extend to someone. And I doubt if there's a single church in this country that would ever ask a thief to look after his money. But Jesus did. His way of thinking is not our way of thinking. My thoughts are not youth, your thoughts. Isaiah. Okay. So what was the third point? Well, as I read through this and I Ask the Lord, what message should I give? The Lord brought to mind a third idea. Immediately after this incident of the miraculous catch of fish and the coin in the mouth, in Matthew 18, verse 1, let me continue. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Here we go again, <clears throat> at the beginning of the ministry, in the middle, and right at the very end, on the last night of the Last Supper, this topic comes up. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's going to get the biggest reward? Who's the leader? What's the pecking order? Now that is a natural kind of question to ask if you're in a group of 12 people and a, a few ladies some coming and going and you're with each other 24 hours a day for days and weeks and months and years can you imagine that can you imagine being with anybody even your spouse that much and Jesus deliberately chose a bunch of ordinary folk and jammed them together and said we're in this together you don't know where you're going, you're following me, I'm following the Lord, the Lord God of heaven, and we're going to learn on the way. And we're not going to learn the way that so often we do, which is, come on Wednesday night, and do a course, and then make sure you're there on Sunday, and maybe Saturday night, and you'll do that, and then eventually you'll get a diploma, and you know, or you'll go to Bible college. Jesus didn't do things that way. He put people together, and things happened. And when they happened, it was an opportunity to do something, to, to investigate the situation and to explore it. I actually used to do that when I was a teacher myself. 
A lot of teachers don't like interruptions. We have some teachers here. They don't like it when the secretary comes from the office and you're in the middle of a math problem or something and they're telling you about the lunch bells or the, whatever it is. But I used to like interruptions. Sounds funny. I would actually invite the person in, don't just stand in the door, come and say hello. I would get my students to stand up and give them a respectful greeting. And then I would ask the lady or whoever it was, tell us something, how your day's been going. Or maybe I would say to the class, what have we been learning, students? Tell Miss So-and-so about what we've been discovering. And so one would put up their hand and would say something. And I'd say, you know, have a look at that work, isn't that fun? And the lady who's not a teacher answers in a nice way, and she's happy. And I said, thank you very much. And so instead of just being 30 seconds, it's two or three minutes, they go, and the whole class has experienced this unusual positive interruption. Peter doesn't like interruptions. I don't think. I think he's sitting there enjoying the fact that he's listening to the Messiah tutor him, and along comes this tax man to say, have you paid taxes? And the taxes, yes we do, but they haven't been paid. Huh, can you imagine Peter? If I get a hold of that Judas, I'm gonna wring his neck. That's probably the kind of thing that happens when you've got a bunch of people together like that. So what was Jesus doing in this situation? Why did he have Jesus, Judas there? Why didn't he choose Matthew, the tax collector? And this is being written by Matthew. Because Jesus was giving the disciples an opportunity in his mobile group to learn to love the unlovable, the ones that weren't attractive. I don't think I've ever been in a church anywhere in the world Trust me, I've been in a lot where there's not somebody who disturbs everybody in one way or another, right? Oh, over there, you've been around, okay. And I certainly have, I've taught all over the world and every class I've had, I know many hundreds, there's always some smart aleck in the class. Don't put up your hand again, more than one. And I have to deal with a smart aleck before I can get the class organized, oh, here we go again. I have to be creative about it, not too harsh, but also strong. And... But you know, more often than not, by the end of the year, I liked that kid that was giving me the biggest trouble. Because they were asking for something. They weren't asking the right way. But it was like a a battle royale here. You think you're going to take over this class? I'm the teacher. I'll tell you the story. <laughs> I used to write down in a notebook, I was fair, anybody who didn't do their homework. And I would go around every row and check and see that they had done it. I wouldn't just say, yes, you've done it. That wouldn't be good enough for me. I would check. Oh, you haven't done it. Here's your name. Once you got the three names, that was it. You were picking up garbage with me. 
And I'm not telling you, in one school I was in, <laughs> especially around the tuck shop, the place was so clean, I had to take this kid outside of the school to pick up garbage. I know, I'm even talking about bottle tops stuck in the mud. One time the principal saw me outside with one of the students <laughs> instructing them to pick up garbage. What are you doing? And then he thought, ah, okay, good. You know, I really liked that kid. I remember him. I've forgotten all the good kids. And one time one of his little girlfriends said to me, you know, Mr. McIntosh, why Jason is becoming such a good kid now? I said, no, you tell me why, Gina. Because he's sick of picking up garbage. <laughs> How often do we have to pick up garbage from somebody in the church that gives the church a bad reputation? Huh? If only they just weren't there, then the church would be good and then people would come. That's how I grew up. In a church that basically said, we don't want the undesirables. We want them to be okay. We, we want the nice people. We don't want the bad reputation. The you want the undesirables. Well, in this situation, Judas was an undesirable. And Peter <clears throat> was being taught a lesson. <clears throat> Not verbally, he was being taught a lesson in his heart. And I have to learn that lesson too. I think we all do. He asks the question. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? In other words, the Romans are collecting taxes from us, and it's not comfortable, right? And, and Peter says, well, that's right, we, we, we have to pay. And Jesus says, we're exempt. In other words, the nation of Israel was meant to be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, to the rest of the world. They were meant to be able to have a relationship with God that was so good that everybody was attracted to that, and they would pay tribute to come to Israel and receive the laws of God. That was the vision of Isaiah, and the vision way back from Deuteronomy. But it wasn't happening. Instead, Israel was dominated, and they were bleeding. It's a pain in Peter's heart. But we worship a living, risen Christ who takes the miserable, stupid, undesirable situation and turns it into a miracle. Amen? And what happens? No money. Okay, Peter. You're a fisherman. Take your line, go to the lake, probably just almost see it from here. Throw your, throw your line in, get the first fish, and then inside it's got a coin in its mouth, and it happens to be the exact amount for your tax in life. I mean, what's the odds of that? Millions, billions. But the interesting point about this is that Jesus does not play a magician's trick and say, oh, we need the tax, eh? Boom, boom, here you are, here's the tax. <coughs> no. And he doesn't say, okay, go run and tell Judas to pay. 
And he doesn't speak to the man and say, you know, we're sorry, we'll pay later. He takes this insult, this indiscretion, this interruption, and makes it into a miracle. But Peter has to do something for that miracle. And it's not that Peter has to dive in the water and find the fish. That's stupid. Peter does what he can do. But Peter can't arrange for a particular fish with a coin in its mouth to be right there at that moment in this huge lake. And it just happens to be the exact amount that's needed. How many times has he ever caught fish with coins in their mouths? Probably never. So God is doing what God can do. And Peter is doing <coughs> what Peter can do. And that's where we encounter God in the miracle. Let's be practical. If you're a young person and you want a car, how are you going to get a car? Get a job. Get a job. Right? Save up and buy. Steal it. Steal it? Oh, okay. You're undesirable. You. You're going to save up and buy a car. But what if through no fault of your own, you can't work, you don't have funds, and God has called you to go someplace and you're going to need a car for it. What do you do? You pray. And at that point, God says, right, you're doing what you can do. The only thing you can do is pray. Okay, I'll do the rest. But if you're lazy and you sit there and you say, I don't want to work and you can, and you know, come on God, give me this Rolls Royce on the front lawn tomorrow, I don't think the Lord's going to listen. Not that he can't do it, but he's not going to sponsor our beings for it. So we do what we can, God does what he does, and then the miracles occur. The testimony is there. And that is the lesson for you. When you're faced with a situation that's not your fault, when you've given up everything and you've left your nets behind, and you've got a bill to pay and you can't pay it and somebody's been irresponsible, instead of getting angry about it, expect God to get you out of your little mess and teach you something on the way. I want to thank the Lord that he's shown me how important it is to pray for the Judases that are among us because I'll tell you something. If there's, if there's anything you want to remember, remember this one little thing which may bug you, and I'm going to say it right now. There's a little bit of Judas in us all. And when we realize that, and we appropriate God's forgiveness, we'll be able to love the undesirables that God puts in our power. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this beautiful little story with so much meaning in it. I want to thank you that you took that interruption and you made a lesson out of it that Peter didn't forget and we have with us now. Lord, I want to thank you for the difficult people you bring into my life that I need to love. It's hard. I can't do it without you helping me. And I pray for all those watching, for all those in other churches, who have undesirables in their midst, who have odd people, who are struggling 
with loving and healing somebody who's giving them a hard time. Lord, help us to see that we give you a hard time and we need your forgiveness consistently. And it's so easy for us to forgive ourselves but, and, and hold judgment against others. Lord, give us your peace. We need your peace, the fruit of peace, the Holy Spirit among us so we can love, so we can represent you in a beautiful way and so we can show forth in our little world your great miracles. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.